My hope for you and for me on this day is that if this is true, if Jesus Christ really did rise from the dead, that means he's alive right now. And if he's alive right now, then every single one of us in this room should be able to leave today having a sense that I was actually in the presence of God. And that's our hope. Our hope is that you will meet him today, that he would encourage you today, and if there's anything that Easter gives us, it's hope. And we hope that you'll receive that. So let's read the story. Let's go right, right where it's at. Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, I love this phrase, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe these women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what just happened? So what happened? What did just happen? I tell you, on that morning, Easter morning, everything changed. The understanding of life, the understanding of God, the understanding of eternity, the possibility of knowing God intimately and personally, of actually having his presence in us and with us was now possible. That's what just happened. Everything on Easter was made new. Now, have you guys ever had an experience like, like that where you've said, man, I've never seen that before. And when you see something for the first time, it's amazing. Like, I'll never forget the first time I saw the northern lights. Anybody seen the northern lights? I saw them in Detroit, out of all places. I was driving really late one night, and sure enough, you see the northern lights, and you're like, oh my God, I've never seen that before. Right after we moved here, I climbed Grander Peak, and when I got to the top, I just laid down, I took a little nap in a beautiful sunny afternoon, and I woke up, and there was this huge bug right on my chest. <laughs> and it was neon blue. Does anybody know what that is? I mean, that freaked me out, because it just took off, right? I've never seen that before. Being down and seeing the vegeta vegetation in Honduras just a couple weeks, you don't see that. Last year, when the Utes were playing Oregon. <laughs> and that punt happened, and everybody was over here, and the guy caught it here and took off down the sideline? Come on, how many of you saw that? I've watched football my whole life. I love that game. I'm like, I have never seen that before. I remember I woke up my wife. She was dead asleep. I'm like, honey, you got to watch this play. 
Because isn't that what we do? I mean, if you really do see something new for the first time, I know this about me. I love new things. I found that out um, years ago. I was at a, a conference for church planners, and we were discussing how do you stay fresh? How do you keep your heart full? And we were just learning about the things that actually fill us up. And I, I discovered during that time, I just, I love new things, man. I love to cook, and every time I cook, I do a new recipe. I've never tasted that before. If I'm going to go somewhere, I want to go to a new place. I love new things. So here's a question. Why are we so consumed with the new? Man, we, I, I want a new house, a new car, a new shirt, a new girlfriend, a new husband. <laughs> That's funny. I got to chuckle both services. <clears throat> Well, here's what's interesting. I, am, I don't know about you, I am loving how science continues to discover things about us. And discover, science is now discovering things about our brain. I checked this out, because I'm like, why do we like new stuff? Well, here's what science has discovered, that brain activity actually spikes when we see something new. They can see it in your brain. And you know what happens? Your brain releases dopamine. Anybody know what dopamine is? So when you see something new, there's a shot of dopamine that goes into your brain. And dopamine actually helps control the brain's reward and pleasure centers. It enables us, when that kicks in, it enables us not only to see rewards, but to take action to move for them. So here's what happens. When we see something new, we believe that new things bring a possible reward. Since it's new, there might be more pleasure more satisfaction, more fulfillment, and so we go for it. Now, when do we get new things? Like, when, when do we actually want new things? Well, all the marketers tell us it's new and improved because we believe it's going to be better. When the old is broken and it's not working very well, then we get a new one. Or when we're just bored with it. We've had this thing for a long time. It's not bringing that pleasure anymore. We'll get a new one. Sometimes we simply want a new one because there's a new model, right? How many of you do that with your iPhones, <laughs> right? You're, you're totally satisfied, but there's a new one, right? And because it's new, it's got to be better. And so we just go and we get it. But here's what I realized too. Not everybody actually likes the new. Like for me. If, I, if, I, if I'm going to take Susie out and we're going to go out to eat, I will go to a new restaurant every time. Or if I go to a restaurant I've already been at, then I always have to order something new on the menu. Anybody else like me? Three of us. That's fantastic. <clears throat> so seriously? Okay. So, right, the other option is you guys go to a restaurant that you're familiar with and you order the same thing because you know it's going to be good. How many of you do that? Okay, you guys are so boring. I, I am absolutely shocked. This was true in both congregations. This is crazy. You all have no idea what you're missing. But I, there are times when I have not enjoyed the new. I actually really like Raisin Bran. And I remember one time pouring Raisin Bran into the bowl and the flakes looked different. I poured my milk in, sprinkled some sugar on, I ate them, and I'm like... You messed with my Raisin Bran. <laughs> Don't mess with my Raisin Bran, right? I like it the way that it is. So I actually don't want it to change. 
So I think that that's true with many of us. Sometimes the new actually can freak us out. And we like what we have because we know it. It's familiar to us. I understand it. I know how it works. I know how to use it. Things that are familiar make us feel safe. So here's a question. Does God like new things? In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So apparently, God likes new stuff. All of the new stuff is from God. And the old is gone. So I think for some of us in this room today, well, I know this is true. Some of you walked in here today and when you look at your life, it's broken. Some of your hearts are broken. Some of your relationships are broken. And again, when things are broken, then we actually are looking for something new. For some of you, your life just isn't working. The, your, your marriage isn't working. Your job isn't working anymore. It's not, it's not filling that satisfaction. And when things don't work, then all of a sudden we go to other stuff and that's not working either. Money's not even working. <laughs> the drugs I'm taking, the alcohol that I'm doing, the sexual stuff I'm involved, that's not working. I still feel, and some of you walked in here today and you're like, okay, I don't know why, but I'm unsatisfied and I'm unfulfilled and my life isn't working. And this is when new is actually intriguing. So for some of you, the invitation today that God actually wants to make things new, you know what happened? A spike of dopamine just hit you. And the thought, could there actually be a reward if there was something different? Hey, I want to tell you, happy Easter. To every one of you, thank you. Happy Easter to every one of you who walked in here broken. It's not working. I'm empty. I'm not satisfied. And I'm not fulfilled. There's something new for you. Now here's the other thing I know. The other half of us are in here and we're like, I actually really like my life. <laughs> Don't mess with my raisin bran. Right? <laughs> I like it just the way it is. And sometimes this whole God thing or Jesus deal kind of freaks me out. I'm familiar with what I've got going. That I'm not so sure about. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at why God is so interested in getting rid of the old and actually bringing something new. And we'll look at both those things, the old and the new. And then at the end, I'm going to share one of my absolute most favorite stories of a person who found something new. All right? So, um, I, I, I didn't do this. Can I pray again? I just feel like I just want to pray for you right before we dive in here. Jesus, thank you that you know every broken heart. You know every person that walked in here who's like, my life isn't working. You know every person who sought out so many different things to fulfill them and it hasn't worked. Jesus, you know everybody who's walked in who's fine. 
But here's what I know, man. You have intense, relentless love for every one of us. And I ask in the name of Jesus, because you're alive today, that you would speak to us, meet us, and transform us into something new. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I'm going to be in Romans chapter 6. So if you guys have your Bibles, if you want to look in there. Um, if you're new to K2, we have an app. You can just go to the app store. It's K2 app. And every Sunday, all the notes, all the scripture and everything's right on there. You can follow right along on your phone or you can and pull it up. So Romans chapter 6. Here's, here's what Paul, the writer, says. He goes, so, so what should we say? Should we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now, don't have time to do this, and unfortunately, this is chapter 6 in a very complicated book, okay? So, for five chapters, Paul has been trying to help human beings understand how you can actually be connected to God. He's trying to help us to understand how can we gap the separation and be reconnected to him and have his spirit come in? How can we actually be saved? And what it says is that it is by God's grace, and grace is a gift. So for five chapters, he's gone around and he's saying, listen, you need to understand this. You do not get God by trying to be a better person. You do not get righteous by trying to be right. This is so counterintuitive to us because we think, man, I better try to please God so that I can get him. But what the Bible teaches is the only way that you can actually receive forgiveness for your sin and receive God into your life is by grace. It is a gift. So instead of trying to earn your righteousness, you actually have to receive it. Now I say this all the time here at K2, this is really important because the problem can be if, if, if you're trying to earn your goodness, if you actually do it, then you could have the tendency to be proud. And if you're trying to be good and you're not very good at it, then you have the tendency towards shame. And neither pride nor shame bring life. That's why this, this good news of the gospel is so interesting. And here's what I want to tell you. If you actually entertain what Paul and what the Bible says, that salvation, that getting back to God is not something you earn, you don't do it by your works, it is a gift from God. Ephesians 2, you are saved by grace through faith, not by works. So nobody can what? Boast. You can't be proud about it because all I did was receive it. Now what happens is, if you can throw up Romans 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 1, what happens is every time Christians hear this message, they'll ask this question then. Really? Well, if our deeds are worthless for earning salvation, then why should I be good at all? It's almost like if people will go, you seriously? I mean, I'm totally forgiven? So I can just go out and keep screwing up my life? 
See, that's why you don't understand. Why in the world are we going, why would I want to receive salvation from what destroys me and then keep doing it? And so what Paul says is, by no means, absolutely not. It's a double negative in scripture. Can't happen, won't happen. Why? I'm telling you guys, here's, here's what I understand. Why would you want to get rid of sin? Because sin is destructive. You know what sin is, you guys? It's high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> it is. It's in everything. It makes it taste good. Can we all just agree that sin is pleasurable? It actually is addictive, makes us want to do it, more, eat more of it, and it's killing us. Amen. Sin is spiritual high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> but by definition, the opposite of sin is what's good. It's productive. It's what works. It's beautiful. It brings pleasure and it satisfies. So can I just say to all of you who are Christians in this room today, you know what Easter means for you? This, this is what you've got to understand. That every one of us who's a Christian, we should be living a new life. The old has gone. And so we should be living a new life. The old self is actually dead. And here's what I want to encourage you. If you're not a Christian today, okay, if you're here and you're investigating or just came with a friend or whatever, I just want to encourage you, you can live a new life. This old self at but, here's what has to happen. To live a new life, your old self actually has to die. So let's talk about this because here's what Paul said. We know that our old self was crucified, which means it was killed with Jesus so that the body of sin, the body, I'm sorry, ruled by sin is done away with. Let me explain this a little bit. What's the problem with the old self? Apparently God is very interested in getting rid of it. Jesus died to get rid of of your old self. Here's the problem with the old self. It can't follow God. It can't. I'm not even saying it won't. It's worse than that. It can't follow God. Every human being. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that non people who aren't Christians can't be good. Pe people who are not Christians are doing good things all over the place, right? I'm not saying that you can't do good things. I'm saying you can't follow God. What the Bible teaches us, the problem within every human being is this old self. And the old self is absent. And here's the problem is absolutely committed to itself. The most important thing to the old self, the nature within human beings, is that we are the center of everything that we think about. Every decision we make is how I can make my life better. Now, I want to tell you, when you're absolutely committed to yourself, here's what, and here's what we hear, you need to believe in yourself. You need to trust yourself. You can do it. You don't need God. Now on the negative side, you'll also hear this, you have to do it. Because if there's no God who cares about you and it's up to you, then you better do it. Now here's the problem with this. 
on a spiritual level, if you're all about you and you care more about yourself than you do God, then what happens on a spiritual level, the Bible tells us you're separated from God. And that's a problem. And so Jesus came to, to take care of that issue. If I can't follow God and I'm doing my own thing, and usually what that means is sin is always stuff that's just in opposition to God. And since God is holy, since he's always good, since he's always loving, since he's always right, he can't participate in it. So here we are off doing what makes us feel good that we think is going to bring us life. And God's over here saying, I can't have anything to do with that. And so many of you are here. And I got to tell you this. God actually hates sin. Why? Because it's leading you away from him. And he created you for him. He loves you so much. And he knows you have this thing inside of you that you can't get rid of and you can't beat. And here's the other crazy thing is God actually has to punish sin because it's destructive, which we'll get to in a second. Here's what I know. Some of you this morning, you're living today under condemnation. You walked in here today and you feel so guilty for the stuff you've done. You have so much shame for the people that you've hurt. And you're separate right now. You don't know that God is absolutely crazy about you and he loves you. So that's the spiritual problem. But on a very practical level, God just loved us so much that he wanted to let us know that you guys sin. When you do stuff that's opposite of me, it actually destroys your lives. I'm not, you know, again, God's not saying it doesn't taste good. It does. God's not saying it doesn't feel good. It feels good. But you know this if you follow it for very long. On a, on a practical level, it destroys your life. When you're separated from God, you are left to really know if you're loved. What if somebody totally knew me? Would they still love me? And here's what I know, man. When you don't feel loved, that's the most painful thing on this planet. You were created for relationship and you were created for love. And so when you're not feeling love, what happens is you'll go search for it. And so you search for it in a relationship, you search for it in work, in status, some of you search for it by looking a certain way because you know if you look this way, people will love you. If you have this amount of money, people will esteem you. You'll seek other pleasures to numb your pain. And what's crazy about this is when you're living for yourself, okay, this is so crazy. When you live for yourself and then you run into another person who's living for themselves and then you try to come together, it's just chaos. Every relationship in this room right now that's not working, I'm telling you right now, it's because one or two parties, you're thinking about yourself and you can't stop doing it. And the last thing I want to say is this about sin, is when you're looking for your ultimate satisfaction or pleasure or fulfillment in life in anything else but God, if you're looking for it in your wife or in your husband or in your work, here's what happens. You will always be searching. It's weird, isn't it? People, people can have all the money in the world and it's still never enough. You can reach to a certain level and you need more. 
And that's what leads us to always needing, uh, that's what leads us to addictions. And here's the other thing, everything that you put your hope in at some point can be gone. That person who brings you your esteem can be gone. You can lose your job, you can use your, lose your health, and then what? Major disappointment when it's lost. And here's the good news. God wants to tell you today, that old self can be gone. That old self that will not listen to me, I can actually crucify it. I can kill it. It can be dead and gone. So here's what I want to say. All of you who are Christians in here, you need to, you, your Easter for you is you need to remember who you are. If you're living in destructive ways, if you're living a selfish life, if it's all about you, you and, and you're tanking right now, Easter is your day to remember the old's gone, man. You have been baptized into his death. In union with Jesus, that old person is gone. And if you're here wondering about Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, man, your old self can be destroyed. And here's, I'm not, here's what's weird. Some of you might be in here today going, I actually want to, some of you may want to follow God, but you can't. And I'm telling you, that one thing inside you that can't follow God can be gone. That's why Jesus Christ came, to destroy it. All right? The old is gone. All right, now let's get to the good stuff. The new is here. The new is here. So in Romans chapter 6, it says, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Why? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You can live a new life. What life is that? When you, when you receive Jesus Christ, you, can I just say this? You need to understand something, especially in America. Christianity is not going to church. Christianity is not trying to prove that you're good. Christianity is not doing a bunch of religious things. Christianity, a Christian, is someone who finally just admitted, I can't follow God. And when you're honest, finally, about your true self and your sin, and you lay it before him, he forgives you of all of your sin, and he makes you new inside. See, that's what a Christian is. And so when we look at this, what's new? Two things. Number one, when you receive Christ, then you are absolutely forgiven. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Notice the present tense. The old has gone, the new is here. And all of this, again, all of this was from what? Because I did a really great job. Nope. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself. Do you guys hear that? The world. That means every one of you in this room. Not counting people's sins against them. You guys, when you receive Christ and Jesus and his spirit get united with yours, you know what happens? On the cross, which was two days ago, on the cross, Jesus took all your sin upon himself and God punished your sin in Christ once for all.
And what that means is, those of you who walked in here with shame and guilt, I'm telling you, everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do, God took your sin and he didn't count it against you which is what that verse said, he counted it against Christ. Christ took your punishment so you never will be punished for what you've done. Can I just get one amen out of that one right there? Listen to me. Listen to me. All of us in this room have sinned against God. And either you're gonna stand before him one day carrying all your sin and stand before God and go, look how good I am. I don't want to do that. Or you can stand before God one day as one who received Christ's righteousness on your behalf. And the Bible says that God will look at you and he will not see any condemnation or accusation. There is new forgiveness and reconciliation for every one of you in this room. The second thing he gives you though, he doesn't just forgive you and say, now just keep struggling with sin then, just keep sinning. No, why? Because he wants to give you a new heart. Look at this verse in Ezekiel, it's a prophecy. It says, God says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out, I love this, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. See, some of you walked in here and you're like, I, yeah, the truth is, my heart is so hard against God, I can't follow him. And God goes, I know. Just tell that to me. Hand me your stony heart. I will take it and I will replace it and I'll give you a new, soft, responsive heart. Does anybody, wouldn't that be cool to actually have a heart that wants to follow God? See, that's what salvation is. He wants to give you that. The next verse says, I will put, oh, this is so good. I will put my spirit in you to move you. Okay, listen to this. Guys, God, to move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. God knows how messed up we are. That he's saying, the only way you will ever follow me is if by faith you'll receive my grace. If by faith you'll receive my gift of the Holy Spirit. And when my spirit comes inside you, I'll actually move you to do what's right. Come on, Christian. Come on. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're constantly living in a way that's opposing to God, that is not his plan for you. If you've received his spirit, you will be a new creation and you'll actually be able to follow God. It's new and improved. I remember that's one of the things that just freaked me out. I remember receiving Christ by faith when I was 11 years old. And one of the weirdest things to me, now I sinned a ton as a teenager. I, I, I messed up a lot. But you know what was cool? I never wanted to. I never wanted to. And some of the stuff that my friends were doing, there was something inside of me that just said, I can't do it. And I remember being like, this is so frustrating. <laughs> How come all of my other friends can just go do all that stuff and this thing's inside of me going, don't. And I literally didn't want to. There's only one reason. He put a new spirit in me. And once he does that, you really are a new creation. 
The old is gone. That guy who doesn't follow God is gone. He puts a new heart in you, and that's salvation, and now I can't do anything but follow him. And I want to encourage you guys today. This can happen for any one of you in this room. So I want to share a story with you. And it's my sister. And I asked her if I could have the freedom to share her story with you today. If there's anybody who I've seen who was dead and Christ brought back to life, it's my sister Amy. So watch this. secrets in my life that started in about fifth or sixth grade they they kept on and they kept getting a little bit um, deeper and as a result you know I really began to dislike myself and um, and and it really developed into a deep kind of self-hatred as the years went on On the outside, you know, I had everything kind of going for me. You know, on the inside, uh, I was just absolutely dying um, and just was in torment. I couldn't stand myself. Um, there was just so much confusion there and darkness. I didn't know how I was going to make it. I started partying with friends and drinking, which looked normal. But for me, the drinking got really, really heavy. I kind of drank the pain and the confusion and kind of just to fit in when I felt like I didn't fit in at all. I was second chair, not first chair, and, and that was horrible for me. I just, I felt like a failure again, and there was just so much pressure for me to perform and be the absolute best, and, and I was still really, really drinking at this time. My mom had just died six months earlier, and I was just really, really struggling. I just couldn't take the pressure, so I dropped out um, of school after a semester. And as hard as I tried, and I tried hard, to do things right and to be successful and to look good and to please God, to please everybody. I just, I, I went further into the trap. There was a night that was a real turning point in a negative way for me. 
and I, um, it was a dark room I was in by myself and I lit candles and was listening to music that was just, you know, just horrible music to listen to. And it was really, it really happened out of the fact that I absolutely believed that God didn't love me and that I wasn't worthy of his love and that I was not going to be accepted for what I was and for who I was. And I said, God, if I can't be yours, then Satan, you can have me. It got really, really bad quickly. One night I was in my room 312, it was September 12th, 1994. I was very, very tired. I was gonna lay down and I closed the curtains, turned my fan on. Every time I closed my eyes, I just had gray and black movements coming toward me. And I would open my eyes and they'd be gone. But I was so tired, I would close it again. And the same thing would happen over and over. When they came toward me, they were just faces, scary faces just coming right at me, just black and gray. I would open my eyes and they'd go away for a second, but I was never so scared in my life. I wanted some help from somebody outside in the hallway or something, but there was nobody there. And then in my mind just came and I audibly said, the Bible. And I didn't have my Bible, but there was one in the drawer in the hospital room and I grabbed it out and there was a place that I, I stayed in before a facility and their motto was kind of the uh, Psalm 91. I opened up the Bible, Psalm 91, and I began to read those verses out loud. She who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I just began, I read the whole chapter and the Lord began to take over and I, I still remember Kind of to my left is where the evil stuff was, but behind me, behind my right shoulder, it was a warmth that just came over. And the more I read in the chapter, the more confidence I gained, and the more he just took over. And it was just as if he came in and he began to rescue me and take over. It was like, it was like he finally said, that's enough. She's mine. She's called out my name and he just took over. And I never experienced the depth of that kind of love and acceptance. There's somebody coming to my rescue like that. Shortly after that, I had a notebook and I do not write poems. That's not my thing. But he gave me the most beautiful poem of my life and my pen barely stopped moving. He just, it was like he was writing that poem for me because he knew, I think, later in life when I doubted, he was, I was going to actually have to have his words for me, his, his kind of love story to me and his, my salvation on that paper.
You know, one thing about my past, there's so many things that are really ugly, embarrassing, and shameful. And it's really hard to get past those things unless you've truly, truly been forgiven. I began to experience the healing only because of His forgiveness. When I began to experience that forgiveness, then all those things I just mentioned, and especially the shame, you know, shame and embarrassment over stories. Like, why would I tell this story? It's embarrassing. It's like, what, what is, you know? But the reason why is because I see what Jesus does. He forgives, He sets free. I mean, I should be shouting this off the mountaintop. It's the most amazing thing that's happened in my life. It's amazing to reflect right now and think about my past and just the things that I've described and the loneliness and to, and to think about present day and where I am. It's a beautiful life, you know, one that I, I never thought I'd be worthy of. I have a wonderful husband that loves me, two kids that are the most amazing, precious gifts I've ever had. I have a wonderful church, all these wonderful relationships. Um, and you know, one big thing is I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not the needy one as much anymore. There's an outflow to my life where I'm able to actually give. And I really just never thought I would be at this point. Jesus is here to save. He's here to love. He's already done it. It's, it's there waiting. And I just want everyone to know, don't give up. Don't give up. I almost did, and look what I would have missed. Just don't give up. The old really can be gone and the new really can be here. You know, as crazy as I remember that night <clears throat> when Amy hurt herself so badly. It was really weird. I was living in California. She was in Lexington, Kentucky. And she was so heavy on my heart, I could not get her off my thoughts. She was, it was just a deep burden. So I remember trying to call her and she wouldn't answer the phone the whole day. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that for somebody. So I just started praying and I was praying and I was praying for her. She didn't get back to me until a week later. She calls me up and she says, I go, man, Amy, how you doing? She's like, all right. She goes, what's up? And I go, she goes, I know she called. And I said, yeah. I said, uh, you were so heavy on my heart. And she goes, when? And I said, I told her the day. And she goes, what time? And I told her the time and I remember because I'd just gotten back home from my classes in seminary. And when I told her that time, that was the exact time when she was seeking to take her life. Now tell me this just real quick. How can a guy in California be given a burden to pray for somebody who's in Lexington not having any idea what's going on? Here's how. God loves you, ma'am. He loves every one of you and he cares for you. And so when I knew what happened to Amy and I knew she was in these treatment facilities, I remember I was just praying for her. And here was the image I had. 
I saw Amy in a cell, like a medieval castle cell. Huge stones, chains around, shackles around her feet. Guards standing outside a huge locked door and a big fortress. Now when I was praying for Amy, what am I doing? Come on, Amy, you can get out of there. Is that what I'm praying? See, here's what I knew about my sister. She was never going to get better. She had those shackles down. She wasn't going to get out of that. And so here's what I prayed. I prayed that Jesus would come on his big white horse. And I'm not kidding. In my mind, I pictured Christ. Coming on, man. And I would pray, you come and you rescue her. Knock down the doors. Take out the guards. Crash in. Break the locks. Take her shackles off. Pick her up, up in her arms and rescue her. And I pray that for her every day. And he did. And he rescued her. And I want to tell you, no matter who you are and no matter what you've done, and apparently not even how successful you look, Jesus can rescue you. And he can take away your heart of stone. And he can give you his new heart. He can heal you and restore you and save your life. All right? So would you stand with me? I just want to give you a chance now as we close. We're going to sing a song here, and I believe that this song is going to give you a perfect opportunity to think about everything that maybe is old in your life. Everything inside of you that can't seem to follow God. Every pattern of behavior that, you've, that you're involved in that's destroying those around you or your own heart. Your own brokenness. Your own emptiness and realize that Jesus Christ conquered all of that. He took it all in and he rose from the dead, you guys, because there was no sin in him. He had the ability, and no one else did, to walk this life perfectly, and he's alive right now. He's alive right now to come inside you and empower you to reconcile you back to God so you can live that life, all right? And we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate that. And I encourage every one of you in your own heart to engage with God on this thing. And we're going to take our offering while we do because those of us who are Christians, man, this is just, man, when someone has loved you this much, you just can't help it. You just want to love them back. And this is one way we can love God back and just say thank you for all that you've done for me. So if you're here and you want to do that, man, let's do that. Let's celebrate God by giving our offering to him. But let's celebrate even more so by giving our heart to him. And let's sing to Jesus Christ who's risen today, who's alive today, to give you life today. All right, let's do it.